everyone. I'm Artemis. And I'm Rajni. And we are STEM Women in Kidlet. I'm an internal medicine physician and the author of the middle grade novel, Midsummer's Mayhem, and the picture book, Seven Golden Rings. I'm an entomology technician and the author of Do Jellyfish Like Peanut Butter? Amazing Sea Creature Facts and The Grumpy Pirate. Hi everyone. Today at STEM Women in Kid Lit, we're here talking with Karen Strong. Karen is the author of the critically acclaimed middle grade novel, Just South of Home, and she also works in the software development industry and currently works for a big five tech company. Hi, Karen. Hi, guys. Hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. So happy to have you here. So, Karen, we're so excited to have you uh, here and talk to you t- today. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your STEM background? Oh, yeah. So my STEM background is very nerdy. Um, I have been in, I'm a computer science major. That's why I majored in school. Don't, I don't know why, but when I was a little girl, I was very good at logic. I was very good at computer programming. Um, we had computer science classes in high school and I was really good at it. I was helping other people debug. Debugging, I love debugging. I love figuring out why things are broken. And so after college, I went straight into the software development world. I've worked in banking industry, finance, I've worked in retail, and I've worked in um, government um, espionage kind of thing. Can't talk about that, but. (laughs) And then I currently work for a big five tech company on the West Coast. So that's my whole background. Nice. Mm -hmm. And tell us a little bit about what you write and whether these two things are connected at all. Ah, you know, are they connected? They don't have both, to be. But both of them are kind of scary. So <laughs> I like to, <laughs> I like to write I like to write very like supernatural, spooky middle grade, um, speculative YA and science fiction for adults. So I think the nerdy software development side probably is kind of feeds into it a little bit because you're always doing the unknown, you're learning new things. And um Tech can be scary sometimes. So sure. Yeah, that's how they're connected. They're both scary. There you go. (laughs) So you're always learning something new. Being Mm -hmm. somebody who's crashed two laptops in the past month, like different ones, I do believe you on the tech potentially being scary thing. It can be. So. So Karen, can you tell us a little bit about your debut middle grade that came out in 2019? Karen and I were in the same debut group. We were. Yeah, the novel 19s. It was. It was a great group. Um, Yeah, my my debut novel came out in May 2019. It's called Just South of Home. It follows Sarah Green, who is an inspiring astrobiologist. Um, She's very heavy into STEM. She's obsessed with astronomy and space, particularly obsessed with Saturn and the NASA Cassini project that went to Saturn back in 2017. And basically, she's a very logical girl, which I've made on purpose, and she's very STEM-oriented. She actually talks about Occam's razor in the book. So <laughs> Occam's razor being the most simple explanation is probably the best, best thing. Um, so the story follows her one summer when she's filing in charge, and her cousin from Chicago comes down, her name is Janie and she's got like a sticky finger problem just a slight one (laughs) likes to put things in her backpack and so they come across this old um place called Creek Church which is rumored to be haunted 
And spoiler alert, it kind of is. And so they have to figure out how to solve this ghost mystery and put these spirits, what Southern people in the South call haints, put them to rest and heal their town and their community. I, lo I loved your book. And I just loved how you had this very um, kind of scientifically minded character mm -hmm. struggling with the clear proof of the supernatural. <laughs> I know. Right? It's, like, it's, like, right okay. front, it's right in front of her. I was like, there's got to be an explanation for this. Okay, I'm going to find it. She never found it. <laughs> she just has to go okay we just got to go with it that this is happening and like yeah. why is it happening right why is it happening um, yeah yeah uh i i feel so okay i'm gonna ask you a very strange question but just go with me here okay yeah, i'm listening so in your in your job in your like very technical job Yes. Do you ever feel like some things happen and you're like, actually, I have no explanation for why this is happening, even though you're like, you know, you're coding, you're like, this, <laughs> all this stuff is supposed to map directly to something else that happens. Um, that usually is because of user error. <laughs> usually when something's not working and in my tech job is because I've done something wrong. <laughs> so um, but I think, I think working in tech, it, it, it does push you to try to find an answer. Um, and sometimes those answers don't exist and you have to create your own answer, which is why I think tech is really geared to a certain kind of personality. I always tell people, especially in software development, if you don't like solving problems, then it's probably not the job for you because that's what you do all day is solve problems and nobody tells you how to solve them. You have to figure them out yourself. Fun times. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I think, I think um, with Sarah, her trying to figure out, okay, how can we help these people? And there's no answers. They have to come up with their own answers. One of the things I love about middle grade is that this is the first time kids are trying to figure out things on their own without the help of adults. And so it's a problem, you, you know, you're a problem solver. That's what you are when you're first doing middle grade. You, you're on an adventure, but really you're problem solving, right? And that's what tech yeah. does. Yeah. And I, and I love the way you put it, that like you have to figure it out yourself, mm -hmm. that no one's going to give you the answer. I think this is, um, you know, very interesting kind of like when you step outside of school where there's like mm -hmm. an answer key. Yeah. And then you are faced with a problem where there's no answer key. No. There is an answer, probably. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> but, but, right, but, but no one, like, all you have is kind of an approach to kind mm -hmm. of figure, figuring out what's going on, and you have to keep going back to that approach and maybe changing it to yep. keep investigating. I love that. I yeah. love that. Did you like solving yeah. problems when you were that age, or what were some of the types of problems you solved? Oh, when I was Sarah's age, when I was 12 years old, I was what they call like a... Um, like a rambler. I, I just like figuring out people's secrets. And so I was just nosy. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember solving a lot of problems. I, I used to do a lot of logic puzzles and I used to do, I used to code when I was a kid myself. Um, I, my father bought me a computer and I taught myself how to code. And so, yeah, I, I think I've always had that inquisitive kind of always having questions. That's one thing Sarah has in the book. She always has questions. Um, matter of fact, some of, the, some of the other characters say, you ask too many questions. So 
that's one thing me and Sarah have in common. I always, but why? But but why? <laughs> it's like always asking a question. I'm I'm pretty sure I I, I worked everybody's nerve when I was that age. Oh, so you I must hate me. being interviewed because it's all about other people asking questions to <laughs> you know. instead of you like, getting to ask the questions. Then, I'm right? kind of mad that I'm not being able to ask questions. When am I going to be able to ask y'all questions? <laughs> <laughs> you, I mean, you can feel free, seriously. You know? Yeah, you can. You what can would your 12-year-old self have, self have asked us? Oh, let's see. If I was 12 years old, I'd probably be like... Um, so what did y'all do today? Why did you do it? What did you wear? Why did you put those socks on? Uh, why are you wearing those pajamas? Aren't you hot? Aren't you cold? I mean, literally, I could go on all day. Amazing. Did, did a lot of people wear pajamas to school when you were that age? Oh, well, we were in the country, so... I don't, I don't think so. I think I don't know how people dress in the yeah. country. Do yeah. they dress differently than other places? <laughs> Sometimes. Depends <laughs> on oh, more in the country. country. No, we dress the same. We dress the same in rural South. We, well, we, I mean, I don't live in a city either, yeah. so I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we, we dress funny. No, these were these would be questions that, you know, I would ask adults, you know. Oh, okay. I actually used to have a tape recorder, and I used to go around interviewing my relatives, and ask them because I, I thought I wanted to be a, a reporter at one time. And so I would literally go around with my mic and ask very intrusive questions. So questions probably a kid probably shouldn't ask, you know, like, I think, why, why is your wife mad at you? What, what did you do? Why are you outside? Why are you living with your uncle? Why are you living with my uncle instead of your wife? Stuff like that. In other words, you were setting yourself up to be a writer. I was. Exactly. I was. This is the writer Conflict. Training. Conflict. Yes. 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 <laughs> I know because they're, they're, that's what we do all day is keep asking ourselves why our characters are doing certain things or like what would they do and why did they do it and you know, how come not this? And things are going to, yeah, things are going too well for this character. What can I do to make it worse? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's kind I'm of just been realizing all my book titles are questions. So ah. I'm like, <laughs> really? Yeah, yeah they are. Now that I think about yeah. it. So apparently <laughs> I like questions too. Yeah. Or do I? <laughs> well, I think, I think that's awesome. I just, I love the parallels between problem solving in computer science and problem solving in a manuscript I think that's Mm -hmm. really cool Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of why Mm -hmm. so when you were like growing up and as a kid do you feel like you drew more of your inspiration for going into a stem field from what you were learning at school or from what you were learning outside of school oh yeah that's a good question to be honest I went into stem because I was really good at it um I came to writing very very late I only came to writing for publication specifically in 20 maybe 20 maybe 20 20 2008 2008 that's what I'm trying uh-huh. to say <laughs> so I um yeah I I didn't really grow up being wanted to be a, a author now growing up in the rural south there were a lot of storytellers we did a lot of oral storytelling you know sitting on the sitting on the porch telling people stories tall tales at night telling spooky tales so I didn't really think of myself as a author I I knew how to tell a good story 
So I think STEM came to me first, but then the, since I'm an avid reader, I always say that I'm an avid reader that turned into a published author because I love books so much. I'm always a reader first, but then I said, you know, maybe I should try to just write some of this stuff down that I'd always talk about orally, right? Uh-huh. So just put the storytelling on the page. So I, I think STEM came to me first because I was really, I have a innate talent for STEM. Um, I've always, I've always had that. And so writing is a little bit different. <laughs> I had to sort of work on that. I had, it took a, it, it really took a lot of practice and it took a, a, took a, it took a while for me to learn how to tell stories, tell stories with structure and mm-hmm. figure out characterization and setting and description. That was more of a me doing it by trial and error. Yeah. Had you taken any writing classes in college and stuff, or had you really just come at this from a technical writing standpoint and then really had to merge that with your storytelling background to get a novel out of it? Yeah, I, I took a few um, <laughs> writing classes, um, but I really just did it on my own. I really taught myself how to read. I, I approach it like I approach how to develop a computer program so when you're creating a computer program you're basically taking parts and you're breaking it down and you're putting them together and so when I was learning how to teach myself how to write I literally took a book I broke it apart and I put it back together and so that's literally how I taught myself how to write like okay I'm going to read this book I'm going to break it down I'm going to analyze each part I'm going to analyze the parts that I liked. Okay, why did I like it? Why did it work? And then I'll take the parts where I didn't quite understand or didn't connect to it. And I'll be like, okay, why did I not like that? So it's almost like debugging a book. That's what I called it. And so, and once I learned how to do that, I start seeing patterns. And in computer science, for people who are computer science and developers, there are patterns and coding that you can incorporate into your own um, code as sort of like shortcuts. And so that's what you're thinking about when you think about writing, you think about tropes, you think about, and it's the same kind of thing. So technically I'm coding when I'm writing, if you want to think of it that way. It's kind of weird. That's how I think of it. I I love that. (laughs) I love that. That is so fantastic. Um, I mean, I think that a lot, you know, everyone who is a writer is doing some of this when Mm -hmm. we're um, reading a book, like why? Mm -hmm why is this working so well if we're mm-hmm. smart enough to like think about it while we're reading but that is fantastic i think that's really a cool way of thinking about it it's the same thing only it's with words it's only I, with words I love it. yeah instead of like o's and ones <laughs> <laughs> so karen do do your coworkers your um uh technical coworkers know about your books they didn't at first, this new job that I'm working at now, they didn't at first, but um, when the Star Wars thing came out, I have a short story in the Star Wars anthology that's coming out in November, the, from a certain point of view, The Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. So I'm using my name, Karen Strong. And so somebody said, is that, this, you know, I saw this Karen Strong in this book, is that you? And I was like, <laughs> yes. And so they have been freaking out ever since. So it's kind of fun because there are a lot of Star Wars fans at my job. I'll bet that's so exciting there seems to be some sort of correlation between Star Wars fans and people in STEM careers I don't know why I I don't know the connection I can't put my finger on it (laughs) (laughs) so yeah I am yeah so they're they're excited I'm excited (laughs) 
I'm in the Wikipedia now. I, I just found out that my character Jalen series in the Wikipedia. So you can't tell me anything anymore. It's actually oh, so that's cool. pretty awesome. Yeah. That is so awesome. Yeah, because wow. I got to create an original character that's canon now. It's kind of crazy. Oh yeah. my goodness, that's it. <laughs> like you've yeah. achieved like nerd nirvana now. That's I have. It. It's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> Our podcast viewers can't actually see, but Rajini literally just jumped up and down in excitement. So. Yeah, yeah I'm, so excited. Awesome. I'm excited. Oh my for goodness. People. So it's, it's coming out in, in November, you said? Yeah, November 10th. Yeah, it's coming out. Yeah. Wow. 40 stories, 40 authors. It's pretty cool. So will this story be appropriate for the same readers as your other book? Um, technically, it's an adult book, but it's, it's, um, it's just about, I always say, it's just about a, a, a woman instead of a girl. I always, always tell people, people say, oh, well, what age group do you write for? I said, mostly 9 to 12 middle grade and readers of all ages. So, yeah, I think, I think a middle grade reader could read this anthology, especially if they love the movie. They would really get a lot kick out of it because the whole premise of the anthology is to have a, the side characters or inspired original characters from scenes from the movie. So in my story, if people who know the movie very well, in the Cloud City, when Princess Leia is shooting at the stormtroopers to get back on the Millennium Falcon, that's where my story takes place. So it's just like every scene is from a different point of view. So we can't really talk about Princess Leia or Luke Skywalker or Darth Vader. None of the none of the main characters. It's always the side characters mm-hmm. or an inspired character. I cannot wait to read this. Oh so, my goodness! Awesome. So yeah. I decided to. Hey, she's on Cloud City. My character has to be rich. Of course, she has to love fashion. So she's a Tabana um, gas heiress who loves fashion. Oh, wow. She basically wears the same cloak that Princess Leia wears, except hers is blue and green instead of Princess Leia's, which is red and orange. Wow. I love it. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, I can't wait to read So this. would your characters from Just South is Home be a fan of this new anthology? Oh, Sarah would eat it up. She would <laughs> love it. Um, Janie, her cousin, probably she would love it just because Janie loves fashion and she loves movie stars. And so she would love it for that. Um, her brother, Sarah's brother, Ellis, he would love it because there's, you know, there's a fight scene in it. So he would love that. He loves movies. He loves disaster movies. And his best friend, Jasper, he would probably love it just because they're fighting against tyranny and, and um, Jasper always wants to do the right thing. So I think all four of them would love it. Wow. Wow. That, I mean, <laughs> those, you should like now, once it's out, you've got to take pictures of the two books next to each other and like explain that, that all your characters from this book would love this, these stories. And the they, would. Because, they would, they yeah, would, they love yeah. them. All their different personalities. They would love it. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I can see why it would appeal to, you know, a huge uh, age range, right? Because mm-hmm. Star Wars fans are, you know, of all ages. So it's, mm-hmm. it, that sounds so amazing. Oh, oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. yeah. Yay. Are there any STEM aspects to this story in this anthology? 
Oh yeah, there's a lots of STEM. There's lots of characters who like are are pilots. There's star navigators. There's even a Tauntaun um, naturalist who takes care of the Tauntauns and talks about their na- their natural history and stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. So there there's a lot of it. science in it too, which I love. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think that's the thing that some people, um, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I as somebody who's always loved science, like mm-hmm. I, this is natural to me. Mm-hmm. A lot of, like most of us who love science also love science fiction. We do. Right? We do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, because we know it's not real, but you have to make it plausible enough that it's like, it could be real, maybe yeah. someday, you know? Yeah. And I, yeah, I think it's super fun. So, I mean, yeah. think about it. The Star Trek, they had the iPhone back in the day before we even knew what iPhone was. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I need, the, I need that tricorder thing so yeah. that my medicine is a lot, like mm-hmm. practicing medicine is just a lot easier. You just lay them on the table and you make Zoom everything it level. Yeah. Zoom it <laughs> over the Just make it all, all the arrows are level and then you're, you're There you're you fine. go. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to picture you going and practicing medicine in like a Star Trek outfit now. Yes. It'll it's be kind awesome. of amusing. Be you awesome. do get a special outfit if you're the doctor on the ship. You, you do. What color yeah. is it? I can't remember the color. Oh, it's like weird. It's like, well, you get like, it depends. I think it depends on the show. I think it's blue, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I can't, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, I only know generation. Yeah, next generation. You get like a one. jacket. Ah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that doctor wore a jacket. I can't remember. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Beverly Crusher wore a jacket. Yeah, she did. Okay. That's what I thought. Yes. All right, Rajan, if any of your pac- patients are listening right now and your doctor <laughs> suddenly comes in dressed like this, you now know like what this came from. Dr. Rajani, she she's takes on Star Wars. Yeah, when she takes the tiny metal object and just points it at you and it makes a woo-woo noise, then you'll know what she's doing. There you go. She's there trying you go. to heal you. You're listening to STEM Women in Kidlit, hosted by Artemis Rarig and Rajni Laraka. We're here today talking with software developer and Kidlit author, Karen Strong. I was going to say, what um, classes in school really led you into your career path? I know you had all this STEM stuff you were great at your whole life, but were mm-hmm. there any particular classes that stood out to prepare you for this? Um, let's see. Or not at all? <laughs> I'm trying to think. I try to I try to block that out of my memory. Calculus didn't really help me. I haven't yet to use a derivative, so I'm sort of mad about calculus. All that calculus I had to take, I wasn't very happy about that. I had to get a full time tutor. It's funny because I'm really really good at logic, but I'm not necessarily good at math. Um, I can I can do math if I really try hard. Um, but yeah, I think um, actually the computer science classes because that's when you're actually able to learn the syntax of the languages, all the different languages, and you got to learn the rules behind the language because with every computer um, programming language like Java, for instance, the object-oriented languages, C++, C Sharp, um, you have to learn the syntax and then you also have to learn the rules and what's um, what can be done and what can't be done. And then you learn the debugging. So I think that's when I really fell in love with the actual coding part because Basically, anybody who's a computer programmer knows that there's more than one way to code something. And there's no one right way to code something. There's several avenues to get to um, a code working, um, which is sort of like books, right? You can have 
one book on this, you can tell five writers, write a book about a rock. (laughs) (laughs) And you're going to have five separate stories, the same way you give five software developers the same premise of a code, and you're going to have five different programs. And they're all going to adhere to the rules. They're all going to be, they're going to be able to be compiled without any problems, but they're going to be slightly five different programs, which is what I love. I, so I am writing a story about a rock. I'm just oh, you are? I'm just out there right <laughs> oh my now. God. <laughs> like secret, but yes, it is okay. happening. All right. Um, <laughs> but um, do you have an opinion? So like, that's very interesting that you said that there are kind of all these different ways of achieving the same result, even in mm-hmm. coding. Mm-hmm. Do you, are you opinionated about like messy code versus like elegant code? I don't like messy. Okay. I don't like messy code. Yeah. I like, I, I like, I like code to have, I like it to be, I like it to have some white space. I like it to have some comments. I, I need you for every, for every method or everything that you're doing. I need you to have a little nice, pretty paragraph saying, this is what this method does. Because here's the thing. When you are coding, you're not going to be there forever and somebody's going to come behind you and they're going to need to know what the hell you did. And so I, I like it to be nice white space, nice little, just nice little little snippet of this is what this does. You know? But yeah, I, I need to have some order in my code. I can, t- I can totally do that. <laughs> yeah. Are you also one of those people who labels compulsively all of the different drafts of your books? Or do you just have um, them like spewed out everywhere? Okay, no. <laughs> no, I, I use Scrivener. And so I, what I usually do is I have, I have, for my drafts, I have a separate folder for them. And so, yeah, I have, I have a draft. And then every day, because I'm paranoid when I'm, when I'm drafting, I save it off and I put the date on it. So I, every day I have a fresh draft that I work from. Because I, I'm just paranoid. I just don't want to lose anything. So the book I just it's not finished. paranoid. That's smart. <laughs> yeah, that's smart. Yes. So for the book I finished um, in in October, it was still October, isn't it? The book I finished in October, I finished it in August, but I had to go through a, a editing round in um, September. Um, I think that one had, I started writing it in, in earnest in um, September of 2018. So it took about a full year. So I have a pretty much a draft for every day. So probably like 300 files because I saved it every day. Nice. Oh, that's great. Wow. The real reason I don't save, I, I'm working on a YA novel that mm-hmm. I've been working on for a million years and maybe someday I'll actually finish. But I, the reason I don't save it every single, like a new draft every single time is mm-hmm. simply because my computer ran out of storage space on it. Uh, and like, so I have to be very selective of what I save. Yeah, true. Even though it's kind of saving in the cloud, it like, you know. Yeah, yeah, you can, you know, you can think about doing that because you, what you can do, some cloud providers allow you to save things only in the cloud and free up your space. And that's why, yeah. that's what I'm able to do. Like I said, I have a bad track record with computers, so, <laughs> okay. you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, but yeah, I, I like things to be ordered. I think it, I think it just becomes because of my training because things have to be in order because there's so much going on that, the last thing you need is to have something be haphazard because it gets harder to be able to go back and figure out what's going on. That's just probably some STEM training that, that overflowed into my um, writer stuff. 
Well, but that's good though, because then you don't lose all of your work. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Right>? Which <laughs> is true. like everyone's worst nightmare. Yeah, that's, like, that's oh, pretty no. bad. I yeah. actually do an alarming number of things like specifically haphazardly in my job when it comes to like sampling. Like I do mm-hmm. a lot of haphazard versus like ra- like actual random sampling mm-hmm. occasionally. So it's funny to like, so there, you can do haphazard in like STEM fields just... <laughs> Oh, yeah, you can. It just has to be clearly labeled as such. You can. My inbox is haphazard, so that's probably... <laughs> <laughs> yes, let's, let's not even talk about my inbox. Let's not my talk children, about the inbox. It's, they, yeah, they that's just my, and that's just my work inbox. Let's not even talk about my author inboxes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's change the subject now. Yes, no, please. let's just move right past that. That's it. And let's, leave, let's leave that alone. So where did your fashion sense come from? Um, my fashion sense came from my maternal grandmother. Her name was Florence. She was a lover of soap operas and lipstick. Her favorite soap opera was The Young and the Restless. And Mrs. Chancellor, for people who are Young and the Restless fans, she would always dress up in the middle of the day and have lipstick on. So even now, I work from home and I put on lipstick every day. Even when I was writing, I put on lipstick. I bought a particular lipstick um, NARS Charlotte it's like a deep red and that's what I wrote my draft to I put it on wrote some stories yeah wrote some words that is awesome I you know I actually think that all of these things these kind of um you know rituals that we perform Mm -hmm. they get our brain in the right mode right? Yeah. Like your brain yeah. is probably like, oh, she got that lipstick on. I better yeah. get better in the drafting some, mode. Right? Better put some drafting in there. She's put the <laughs> lipstick on. Yeah. I love it. I actually have started trying to wear different perfume when I'm working on different projects. Uh, yeah, I've heard of that. Occasionally. People, like, they do it with candles too. Different. It like helps with focus a little bit. Mm-hmm. 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 Some people listen to the same song. I do think having a ritual when you start writing is important, especially people who have STEM jobs. Um, one thing y'all might be able to relate to this. I cannot write after I leave my job because my brain is dead. So mm-hmm. I have to write in the morning and I am not a morning person. I became a morning person in 2014 because I realized that I would never get a book written if I didn't start writing in the morning. So I used to get up at 4.30, 4.30 to 7.30. I did that for three years. But now that I work West Coast hours, thank God, I can <laughs> now, actually sleep. Correct. I can sleep in. I can sleep in, and now I write from seven thirty to ten because I don't have to sign in until eleven, which is eight o'clock Pacific time. Oh wow, that's great! I find that um, I have a hard time drafting late in the day mm-hmm. um, because I just feel like my brain is too full of everything. Yeah. Yeah. But I can revise sometimes late in the day. Oh, yeah, so I can like, revise. Mm-hmm. Right? So if something is already there, I'm like, okay, I can, like, look at it and decide what needs to go on, you know. But yeah. I, I, I cannot, like, I have a very hard time producing new material late in the I day. Think our brains, I think our brain, I think, I think, I think it's studies that show that your brain only has so much energy. And I think after it's depleted, it's gone. So I learned that the hard way that I do my best work in the morning. And I also think too is that since we're not we're not really awake, really, you kind of get away with more drafting because you're not in that analysis, 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 deleting as you write. Deleting as you yes. write. There you go. Analyzing. Yes. I was trying to say analyzing. Right. But the, um, the, the inner editor is like still asleep. The inner yes. the inner editor is 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 there. So um, 
I think that also helps in the morning. But here's the beauty of writing. There's no right way. Some people, they can write between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. I'm not one of those people. And I think you just have to find the best way for you. There's no right way. You don't even have to write every day. I know sometimes when, when you, especially if you have a STEM job, sometimes some days are worse than others. I think the, I think the important thing is just to be consistent. I mean, you don't have to write every day, but I, I think a lot of times writing is just thinking too, thinking about your work and what you're doing. And I think sometimes that counts as well. Don't have to physically yeah. write down words. Sometimes you have to work things through subconsciously too. Do you find Definitely. you use the same part of your brain for writing, um, doing your writing as you do for doing your job? Or is it a totally different part? It, it's like, I don't know. You know what? I know exactly what you mean. I do not use the same part of my brain when I'm drafting, but I do definitely use the same part of my STEM brain when I'm revising because revising to me, is just like debugging. So yes. I think, I think I do when I'm, when I'm drafting something new, I definitely don't use the same part. It's all, it's all left brain. Um, when I'm revising, definitely right brain when I'm drafting. I also find that um, physical activity helps with my writing like oh. especially new idea generation. So like mm -hmm. if I exercise, walk mm -hmm. the dog and take a shower and then I'll like in the shower, it's like pop, 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 pop. All I don't know what it is about running shower. water. Hot running water makes you just the, the, the ideas just come out because I have some of the best ideas in the shower. I don't know what it is. Yeah. Maybe it's the steam. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this is... Okay. Reason number like 700 why I started using doing a lot on Google Docs on my phone because I can sometimes like grab mm -hmm. my phone and like mm -hmm. type something on it like mm -hmm. while I'm in the middle of the like while I'm in the shower and yes I've gotten my phone horribly wet doing this before but um no I do that too I used to I used to carry a notebook but now I just put it on my phone because I type much faster than I write yeah yeah so um, I often get ideas when I'm driving mm. and of course like one cannot type on one's phone when one's you driving. Should. So I used to, and my children used to mock me for this. I used to just put on video and just like record a video of like my chin because I was like recording the audio. <laughs> and my, my kids were like, mom, there's like a voice memo thing. Like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right, I'll figure that out. But then I would go back and like not look at the video because it was awful. You would just listen. Like, listen to the audio. Would yeah, I would just listen audio. and then type the yeah. things that I had thought yeah. of. Yeah. Listen, I used to do voice audio too, especially when I used to wake up in the middle of the night. I used to do voice audio. I actually, um, the first scene in Just South of Home was not the first scene that I had with my agent. I actually woke up in the middle of the night and wrote that whole chapter one from scratch. One take. Wow. I love it. Mm -hmm. I know sometimes, so here's the thing, right? We're all scientists. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I believe in like a muse, <laughs> but like there's times when it's like, there's a muse. It just showed up in my head and like, boom, it came out. I, I get it. See, that's the problem with the muse because here's what people need to understand. You know, in science jobs, we know it's going to be work, right? But however, in writing, we are supposed to pretend like this muse comes in and sometimes they do come in and it's really beautiful and you have this flow. But I think sometimes, it's especially aspiring writers, they feel like every time they sit down, they're supposed to have this really great experience. And I think people forget that writing is work. And then some yes. days you might actually have a good day, but a lot of the times you're just really sitting there like taking blood from a stone and you're just really 
I mean, I literally this summer, you know, not even thinking about the pandemic and all that brings all that stress, but just there were days when I used to write 500 words after two hours. I'm like, Hey, this is good. This is good enough. I mean, you're not going to be able to write consistently 2000 words a day. I mean, I can't. (laughs) So, I mean, people need to give themselves a break and and give themselves some self-forgiveness because I think a lot of writers feel like I should be able to write 2000 words a day every day. And I should be able to finish a draft in three weeks. My first published book was under 300 words. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if I have to contribute to that yeah. one. But. Yeah. Well, I mean, I also think that um, what's really interesting to me is how emotional writing can be. Mm-hmm. Like, when you're just like, blah, 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 and you're like, this is awful. Like this stinks. I would never show this to anybody. And then, like, the next day, you go back to it, and you're like, you know what? Like, it's not actually that bad. Yeah, it's not that bad. Yeah. Right? But in the moment, moment, yeah. I'm like, what am I doing? I hate this. Yeah. Like, I'm trying. Do you know how many times I've uttered the phrase, who said I could write? I was like, I, I, like, there are just times where I'm like, I, like, I'm just pretending that I know how to write something. I think, I think, too, once you become published, and you see, we can't, we keep forgetting that it takes literally a team to get a book out into print, you have copy editors, you've got, you, you know, you've got your editor and you've got all this line editing and all this stuff. And we forget that the journey to get there. And I think when we're writing on the next book and we forget how that draft turned into that printed page and we have too high of expectations. Yes. I think, I think a lot of times people think I'm going to write this once. <laughs> no. You're not, you're never going to write it once. You're never going to do it. It's like, it's a fallacy. It's fallacy. You can't. So I think if you come in knowing that this is just the first round and it gives you the, it gives you permission to be awful. And when you think it's perfect, some editor or somebody is going to be like, uh, no. No, right. So it's like, I think and we they'll put too much sometimes pressure be right. Yeah. Sorry, usually, we love it. Now change all these things. Okay, usually, okay. usually, usually they are right. Oh, we love your writing. Here's a nine page, single page, nine single page editor letter of all the things you've done wrong. But we love it. We love this book so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think that's the other thing um, that is like a, a big contrast between STEM fields and mm-hmm. creative fields mm-hmm. is that you have to just be humble. Like, yeah. like the world is constantly humbling you. You're like, this is awesome. And they're like, it is awesome. And like, we're going to change all these things. We think you should change all these things. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay. And then you know what? It's usually better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because it is. Who isn't you couldn't see it more objectively than you yeah, can. You, you're too close to it. You have to get a second, a uh, second pair of eyes. You yeah. And it's fine yeah. because it, it does, it is better usually. Please fix it. Thank I you. think the difference isn't that you don't do that in STEM fields. I think you do do that in STEM too. It's just that people feel more personal about their art than they yes. do about like their, there you go. That's like it. Like if somebody says, Oh, this is, if you do this differently in your experimental design, you're, like results will be better. Then I'll be right. like, oh, cool. Yeah. Versus if somebody says that about like my writing, sometimes it like, I yeah. don't know, it's not quite as straightforward that way. I think it's because it's like, you know, the, the science, you know, the, the, the STEM day job is supposed to be quote unquote objective. And the writing is so subjective because it literally is coming from you. And in, in the words are conveying 
feelings and, and characterization. And I can only speak for myself, but when you're writing characters and stuff, they're like facets of yourself. So when you're presented with people editing that stuff, it almost feels like they're editing you. And so I think that's probably one of the main differences. I mean, I don't care if somebody like, you know, peer reviews my code and says it's all jacked up. I'm like, yeah, you're right. But when somebody like peer reviews, like Sarah, who's a character who's so much like myself, I'm like, I feel like Sarah isn't a strong character. Does that mean I'm not a strong person? What do you see? Like, <laughs> and so you go off on a tangent and you go down a spiral. And, and so I've been learning to like not take it personally. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of, I mean, that's the only way to survive is you have to not take it personally. And sometimes people make suggestions and you don't agree with them. And that's also okay. Like that's, that's, you can say, no, I actually want to do this for this particular reason. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah, In in my um, job as a physician, like there's Mm -hmm. a very, I mean, of course, lots of it is emotional, very emotional. These are people's lives. Yeah. But we're trained to take a step back and like when we feel worked up about something, like when there's conflict there, when somebody comes in and they're angry or they're upset about something, mm-hmm. like we're trained to just take a deep breath, take a step back and let them say what they need to say. Yeah. And nine times out of 10, once they've said it, then you can say, okay, this is what I'm hearing, but like, this is the kind of stuff that I'm seeing. And this is why I think X, Y, Z. And like most of the time, the vast majority of the time, they're like, oh, okay. Yeah. But it's very hard to do that when you're writing. But like, it's a skill that you do need to learn, which is when somebody says, I think X, Y, and Z, to just take a deep breath, take a step back and be like, okay, I understand why you're saying that. Like, I may not agree with what you think I need to do, but I can understand why you think there's something, you know, that needs fixing here. Yeah, yeah. And I think you have to be smart enough also to know when to just shut that down because once the book is finished and it's on the shelf and then you start getting reader, reader comments, you really have to let that go because like, I always want to say like, Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to go talk to Simon and Schuster right now and tell them to pull all the books off the shelf. And I'm going to rewrite this one sentence you hated. And then I'm going to get them to reprint it and put it back on the shelf for you. We're not doing that. You have to let it go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's, yes. Yeah. And I, and I think some readers really do feel like um, they really, it, it depends on the reader. Some readers like, oh, this book wasn't for me. Some readers are very adamant about this was wrong. And it's like, well, maybe this book wasn't for you. We can agree that this book wasn't for you. <laughs> so, you know, and keep it moving. Yeah, um, but, but it is, it's hard to keep that in mind because obviously I don't love every single book that I read. I but couldn't you, possibly. I mean, you can't you know? because we're all bringing our own experiences to things and our own like outlooks. So there's going to be things that don't speak to us and that's fine. Yeah. But you have you to know. just be like, all right, fine. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. And sometimes Everybody stuff has... speaks to you that you don't think was going to speak to you when you start yeah. reading it or this vice versa. True. Yeah, no, that's very no, true. Definitely true. You never know. You never know. Oh, oh so I should ask oh. you, what is your oh. STEM book recommendation for us for today? Oh, okay. I had it written down. I think it was, was it Emmy and the Key? I can't remember. I have to think of it up. Do you know which one I'm talking about, Rajani? You know? Yes. Emmy and the Key of Code by Amy yes. Lucido. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And Amy, you know, she's also a coder. She works also in tech. And so I really do love that story. Um, I'm always going to be a fan of stories that present girls 
that are going to be in, in STEM, because the problem that we have right now, unfortunately, is that it's a study that says that when girls are in elementary school, they're very interested in math in particular, they're very interested in science. And then that wonderful world of middle school comes in, and all of a sudden the girls lose interest in STEM. And a lot of times it's psychological because unfortunately there's still a lot of societal kind of impressions of what girls should be interested in and not interested in. And so I think having middle grade books that portray girls in STEM really can change that mindset and that for that particular age group. Because the thing is, is that I can't really speak for other, other um, parts of STEM, but in tech, Specifically, there's a dire need of more women in technology and a dire need of more people of color in the tech industry. And it's because they don't see these people in these, in these jobs. Um, they just see a lot of white men. And so I think anytime we can portray more girls and more um, children of color that are really having a passion for STEM, no matter what part of it is, it could be natural science, it could be tech, it could be even mathematics, as long as it's something within that realm and they, and they see that passion that these characters have, it really instills um, something in the, in the readers because I remember when I was that age, there's some books that I read that still touch me to this day. It's like, I don't know what it is about the middle grade books, but it's like, those are the kind of books that you remember for the rest of your life. And so it, that's why I love writing for this age group because it really does make a mark. Were the people I, around absolutely. you supportive of you going into these fields? Um, yeah, my father. Or did was they think it was weird <laughs> that you wanted to do it? Well, no, not really, because my father was an accountant, so he was a math nerd. So mm -hmm. he was always he was the one that was pushing me towards this field. I mean, he was the one that bought me my first computer. He was the one that was always. We were watching science documentaries together. He was always the one that was pushing me into science. And my mother, she was almost on the other end. She was an avid reader. And so she would take me to the library and we would stay there literally every Saturday until it closed. So it's sort of like I grew up with both worlds. I grew up with the science and I also grew up with books. And so I sort of like, that's probably why I sort of have this kind of hybrid thing going on now, right? Being STEM and an author. So um, no, one thing I was blessed with growing up is that I was always told that my mind was the biggest asset that I ever would have and that my mind would be able to take me places that I'd never thought I would be growing up on a dirt, you know, a dirt country road. My grandmother and my father told me that my mind could take me any place I wanted to go. And it was just up to me. Nobody could take my mind away. It was something that could never be stolen. It was something that I needed to cherish and I needed to take, to take care of and make it grow so it could take care of me. And it has. So fantastic. I think, and I agree with you that middle grade books when I was growing up had a mm -hmm. huge influence on me and still do to this day. Mm -hmm. And I think what's really cool is that as writers, not only are we reflecting the world, mm -hmm. but we are creating the world, right? Ah, when we yes. create protagonists that do the things that, you know, we love or, you know, that, that ever, you know, we need to happen in the yeah. world we're helping to create the world that we want, which is so absolutely, wonderful. absolutely. If you don't see it, you need to create it. And then when people see it, especially in books, especially in books with kids, you know, it makes a, it makes a big difference just because it doesn't exist. Doesn't mean we can't create it. I like that. Yeah. I love it. Oh, 
Karen, it's so wonderful. It's so lovely to talk to you. Nice talking to y'all too. (laughs) For more information about Karen and her books, you can visit her website at karen-strong.com. You can find a link to that in our episode notes or on our Facebook page, STEM Women in Kidlet. And now it's time for STEM book recommendations. My STEM book recommendation is Feathers, Not Just for Flying, written by Melissa Stewart, illustrated by Sarah Brannan. This is a really beautiful book about uh, bird feathers and how they not only help birds to fly, but also to swim and help them to heat themselves up or cool themselves off. It's really um, fascinating, and the illustrations are gorgeous. My STEM book recommendation is How to Code a Roller Coaster by Josh Funk, illustrated by Sara Palacios. This book teaches kids all about coding in a really fun way and also gets them using their addition, subtraction, and decoding skills along the way. Thank you for listening to STEM Women in Kidlet the podcast about women with degrees or jobs in STEM fields, that's science, technology, engineering, and math, who also happen to write children's books. Happy reading!